The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Hey, a conversation you can join into coming over this next hour. Lots of us are going to be spending plenty of extra time with our spouse and with our children over the coming months. And for many marriages and families, that can be like the spark to an explosive powder keg. Well, you'll know that the government is already committing lots of extra resources to issues around domestic violence in anticipation of a growing need for support for marriages and families locked in together because of coronavirus. Well, today we're opening up a conversation that will help us all get on better with our other half and our children. Not with shallow and empty sentimentalism, but around the understanding of our family of origin, how our relationships have been formed, and the way that affects the way our relationships today will flourish or fail. Our two special guests joining us, Byron and Francine Parola, who lead the Marriage Resource Centre and are recognised leaders in marriage education, supporting all the seasons of marriage with courses and conferences and expert commentary on marriage. They're also the creators of what's called the Smart Loving Series. So a special welcome along, first of all, to Francine. Francine, welcome. Hello, everybody. It's lovely to be here with you all from Sydney. And to you, Byron, welcome along. Thanks, Neil. Nice to be here. Uh, you're in Sydney, and <laughs> might I say, uh, taking the social distancing very seriously because we've got you in separate rooms. And uh, and I mean, I mean, how is that for you? Well, we've been working <laughs> well, from working from home now for a couple of weeks, and so we've got our own offices because we're both doing a lot of teleconferences. We couldn't actually work in the same room effectively anyway. Um, so the social distancing is not so much about the COVID thing in our case, but just about practicality of being able to get some work done. Of course, that's and right. Not, and, uh, and not kill each other in the process. <laughs> yes. We can get into all of this, and I know and really appreciate your real openness about your own marriage. Uh, but COVID-19, it certainly changed the way you do your ministry role. Uh, Byron, uh, you know, you can't address conferences, uh, no groups of people, and you're working very hard with this sort of teleconferencing idea, but it certainly has changed the way you're doing everything, hasn't it? Yeah, Neil, it has, but um, in, a, in a funny sort of way, it's actually we were well prepared for it because over the last couple of years, we've been moving most of our resources into the online environment um, so that couples all around the world could actually participate in, in training and development, um, either with either with coaches or just doing it themselves through the technology that we all now have, now have available. So in a funny sort of way, uh, yes, it has changed things that we're, we were planning to do next week or next month. But in an interesting way, it's actually uh, just an acceleration of something we've, we've been working on together for two years. Let's get into our conversation and talk about the way that we are formed individually and what that brings to the present day situations in our relationships around our marriage and in our family. Francine, as we talk about this concept of a family of origin, you know, to me, you know, and a lot of listeners perhaps who might be football fans thinking the idea of uh, the state of origin football. 
Uh, you know, it won't be played this year, but, uh, you know, state against state, mate against mate. And in some sense, for a lot of marriages, there's a sort of a competition to win when you get into a bit of a tension argument. But uh, what about this sort of idea of a family of origin? Yeah. So I guess the thing is, is that we're being formed and influenced all the time by our experiences every day of our lives. And that goes from the beginning of life right through. Every, everything we encounter and is experiencing is impacting on us in some way. But the experiences we had in our early childhood are particularly influential because they set the tone or the lens or the worldview that we formed in those really early years. And then everything that happens subsequent to that is viewed through that lens. So to give a really practical example, you know, if a newborn, for example, when their needs are met and met sort of promptly and, and lovingly, that newborn learns that the world is a safe place and that, you know, the interaction with their parents reassures them that they are safe and secure and that that gives them confidence then to go out into the world as they grow up without being fearful. Uh, but if, the, on the other hand, their needs are not met, perhaps through neglect or through unfortunate circumstances, they can take on a worldview that tells them that the world is a dangerous place and they will therefore sort of view everything that happens to them as a reinforcement of that worldview. So the, the, the earliest experiences become quite influential and, and that's why we often go back to that when we're working with couples to help them unpack what were those early childhood experiences because that often has such an ongoing impact down the track and, and can negate in some ways even contrary evidence um, to what is actually the truth. So even if that early experience gave them a perspective that was inaccurate, um, for example, about the nature of their parents' relationship or their place in the family, even contrary evidence, it's very hard to undo that um, damage or that perspective. So it's quite helpful, I think, to reflect on those earliest experiences in the light of how we are reacting today. Byron, let's just touch on this for a moment here because uh, such an important topic to talk about, something so important for us to understand. I mean, if we get the big picture here, the big context, our own children's marriages and families will depend on us doing our best as we understand the things that have formed us in our past, because what's happening right now in our marriages and families is going to affect those marriages and families for the future. What are your thoughts about the big context of getting things right? Well, it's actually critical, Neil. Um, you know, one of the most scary bits of parenting advice I ever received was worry not that your children won't listen to what you say. Worry more that they'll watch what you do. If you pause and think about it, that's the essence of what you, that's the point you were just raising. We pass on to our children two things as parents, uh, and we've received two things from our parents. We've received uh, their genetic, you know, who we are, the, the, the nature part of who we are, the genetic traits. I'm short, not tall. I have certain colour eyes. That came from my parents. But then we also passed on a lot of behavioural uh, norms, what we believed was right and normal about the world, how to live, how to relate to other people. A lot of this came from our families, and and, and that's the nurture part of it. And so we say we, we're half nature and half, half we're, we're formed by nature and nurture. And so we, that's who we are, but the, the responsibility we have as adults in a married relationship raising family is to recognise that how we relate to each other is not just our business, and it's not just private between Francine and I. It's affecting everybody around us, most especially our children, who are learning and watching 
what it means to be an adult, what it means to be you know, a, a person in the workforce, a mother or father at home, whatever it might be, but also what it means to be in relationship with other people, what it means to be a husband or a wife. And those messages are going out every day, whether we like it or not, because they learn, we learn by absorption in most cases. Francine, take us back to something that will really help us understand uh, the value of a conversation like this today because we all come from different backgrounds and some of us had a wonderful family experience, some of us had not so great a family experience and some just had the most disastrous, dreadful family experience. Uh, the idea of those things that we uh, were exposed to when we were growing up, whether they were loving experiences or whether they were harmful experiences, maybe a mix of the two, but somewhere in there. But, but give us some insight here into uh, how we might understand the things that we might be even thinking about right now, about those loving experiences we had or the harmful experiences and what that has done to create who we are today. Mm. Well, firstly, I think it's always really important to name and claim the positive experiences. Often, and, and Byron and I are perhaps a little bit guilty of doing this in the past, that we focus so much on trying to fix the problems that we forget that there's so much richness and goodness. And so in our own case, um, we've tried to make a conscious habit of recognising what was the positive formation we got from our family of origin. And one of them that comes straight out is that we grew up in families where both parents had a really strong sense of commitment, um, both practising Catholic families, and we brought all that, uh, I guess, faith, um, commitment to the Lord and so on into our own marriage. And even in times when we were having humdingers of fights, we always knew that the commitment and the the, our grit and willingness to stay in this relationship even when it was miserable and hard going because we had that positive formation around when you make a commitment in marriage you stick to it, you don't just bail out. So that's a positive thing and I think if you can name that you can amplify its impact in your marriage. The negative kinds of influences we find are quite helpful for couples to actually look at the different kinds of, there's a couple of categories and so one is um, just around the expectations. And they might not actually be negative per se, but they might just be incompatible with each other. So a classic example for that in our history is that, you know, my family, we both had mums at home and dads who were the main breadwinners. So that's a compatible aspect of our formation, I suppose, even though it might not apply directly into this age. Uh, but my dad was a retail pharmacist, so he had very regular work hours. In contrast, Byron's father was a medical doctor and his hours were completely irregular and he was often called out into the middle of the night working on weekends. So I brought into our marriage an expectation that we would be able to have a family meal every night at a regular time <laughs> and Byron brought into, into our family the expectation that the father is, you know, it's very flexible. You might not know when he can be home. He's not in control of his working hours as much. And that was something that caused us a great deal of tension, trying to come to terms and adjust our expectations around um, working hours and working expectations. Um, so there's, nothing, so there's nothing, yeah. So there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with our formation there. Nothing good or bad. It just was the formation we had. The problem was it was incompatible with our marriage. It caused a conflict. And so, it, it doesn't really matter whether your formation was is good or bad. I mean, we have to deal with formation that we would say is damaging. We have to deal with that, and you can deal with that. But the issue for most married couples, most married couples, is that it's just the fact that we came into marriage 
with a, a, a template, a subconscious template in the back of our head of how a marriage was supposed to work, what it meant to be a husband or a wife. And of course, that template wasn't designed for this marriage. It was designed from other marriages around us, but not for this marriage. And every marriage that walks the planet is unique because it brings two people together in a way that has never existed before. And so the family of origin gives you a way to actually look back into your blueprint or your template, your expectations, and start to actually say, okay, well, that's what I think. That's what I feel. That's what I believe. But maybe, maybe that's actually not right for us. And so it gives you a real freedom when you start to understand it a little bit. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today, talking through issues around marriage and family and the new normal of being locked in together and how that might actually eventuate. Uh, will there be all sorts of arguments and challenges and tensions that we might all face in a more uh, um, in a more distinct way coming over these months ahead? Our special guests, Byron and Francine Parola, who lead the Marriage Resource Centre and uh, special attention to them being the creator of the Smart Loving series. Uh, they love to talk marriage and love to hear from you today on 1-800-316-316. Byron, let's talk arguments because, I mean, you can have arguments that are specific around various issues that develop within the family. Uh, sometimes they're simply disagreements. How do you tell the difference between a disagreement and an argument? Well, they actually, one follows the other. So you actually start... Um, with a disagreement, and everybody needs to be comfortable with the fact that we will disagree. Francine and I disagree about lots of things every day. That's normal. We have different reasons why we think something is right, and we disagree with each other. What happens in an argument is the disagreement expresses itself in a certain communication pattern, which is usually where effectively you're talking at each other, but you're not really listening carefully to each other. And so we get into an argumentative pattern where we're making our case or trying to push somebody to our solution rather than actually going on a journey of discernment and discovery about why do you really think that? Why is that so important to you? How can we find something that works for both of us and honours both of our values? So what, what we need to be aware of in, in a marriage is that, yes, we argue, and Francine and I argue as well as anybody, Arguing's not good. It's, it's poor communication technique between two people. But disagreeing is normal. It's actually absolutely normal. And so we shouldn't be fearful of our disagreements. But the challenge for us in marriage, whether we're you know, stuck in the house together for six months or just living a normal life like we were three months ago, um, is effectively working out how to navigate our disagreements so they don't escalate into arguments. Arguments are rarely constructive, Disagreements are very normal, and so we need to find the, diff the, the way to manage a disagreement and avoid an, an all-out argument. Does that make any sense, Neil? It certainly does, and uh, anyone who's been married for a while is going to be able to recognise uh, the idea that you're going to have an argument along the track uh, somewhere, and uh, most times uh, every week or maybe every day for some. Uh, hey, Francine, you and Byron, you've been married for more than 30 years. You've got a bunch of children. You've got, I think it's 1.4 grandchildren, another one coming on the way yes. uh, a little later on this year. So so you've got this sort of, you know, you've you've become the patriarch and matriarch of a family because you've got these, you know, these extra generations coming through. 
And, uh, and of course, uh, when we've got these extra generations coming through, the way we argue is important because your children are watching everything you do and it's not just the argument or the disagreement that you're resolving, but, uh, but it's how you actually come through the other side and still love each other. Give us some insights here into perhaps, perhaps how that's worked for you and Byron. Yeah, and this is a, um, a, an interesting debate in the community. There are some parents who would say they don't want their children to ever see them arguing and they try to do it behind closed doors as much as possible. And at a certain age of child, I think that's sensible. Like We don't need to hang out all of our drama for our children. It can have negative, quite negative interpretations and consequences on them if they're very young and they don't understand how to interpret it. But I think it's also really important as they get older for children to be able to witness the fact that, hey, we do have difficulties, we face challenges, but we also know how to repair them. And so they've got to see both the argument and the repair and the makeup. Now, that's not to say, you know, we're going to let them into the bedroom and see the full <laughs> reconciliation process, but they do need to see evidence that there is this you know, active process of working things through and reconciling. And I think that helps children firstly learn and get form realistic expectations about their own marriage. One of the really harmful consequences that we see in couples a lot is that they're experiencing difficulties in their relationship and because everybody is so private about their own marriages, they think they're the only ones and that there must be some fatal flaw. And, and over and over again when we're running seminars and things, we hear these kind of feedback from people saying, I'm just so relieved that we're not the only ones. We thought these issues were unique to us and that our marriage was doomed. And so I think as Christian couples, we actually have a, I guess, a real responsibility to our communities to be prepared to be a little bit vulnerable about the difficulties that we're facing. And that starts in our home with our you know, more mature children, our teenagers and so on, helping to form them to appreciate that difficulties can be expected in marriage. That's part of the process of becoming um, better people, holier people. If we're not getting challenged, we're not growing as individuals. And, um, and so therefore, to, to really embrace those, I guess, difficult times in our marriages, growth opportunities, rather than to see them as, oh my gosh, this is a fatal diagnosis and the marriage is over, we're not going to survive this because we've run into some little hiccup. Byron, so refreshing hearing of the way you deal with your arguments because, as Francine is saying, there's a certain shame that people feel uh, when they have arguments and thinking that nobody else does. And uh, you'll know from church life, uh, when you're mixing with people in church, those that seem to actually be magnetic in the way that they attract friends and love great conversations are people who are much more open about the fact that they've got a few flaws themselves and there might be a few grey areas in their marriage. And uh, yes, they do have a, the occasional Barney that needs to be addressed and resolved, but there is something that we ought not to be ashamed about here because actually doing the argument thing is normal. It's just how you get through it. What are your thoughts, Byron? Yeah, I think I, mean, I think everybody, when you say we've had an argument, everybody has an immediate picture of what that is according to their own experiences. So when Francine and I argue, I think by some people's standards it would be pretty mild. When other people say they've had an argument, it was verging, verging on violence. So I think I think we we uh, when people hear you talk about arguing you know effectively etc or arguing um, you know without causing damage a lot of people misunderstand what you're saying. I think I think the key point on arguing is that arguing is never good. Arguing we do it 
Francine and I do it all the time, but it's actually not good. But we need to recognise that we do do it, and we're all flawed people. So none of us are perfect. And the trick is when you've, when you've ended up with a disagreement that's merged into it, that's a, you know, evolved into an argument, at that point you're not really doing much that's constructive. You're basically, in the arguing point, you're just trying to win your point. You're not really trying to advance the relationship. When you've got a disagreement, the purpose is to actually advance the relationship, to resolve the disagreement. And when you resolve a disagreement, your relationship becomes stronger. An argument's a dead end. It's, an, it's, an, it's a branch off that road, but it's a dead end. It doesn't take you anywhere. But we do do it, and we need to recognise that, firstly, it's not terminal, and we also need to acknowledge that it's not good. And so, it's, I mean, we, we're quite open about it. Yeah, we're not perfect. We argue. We shouldn't argue, but we do. We have disagreements. Of course we do. Everybody does. That's normal. And so I think, you know, if we can just get over that shamefulness a little bit that, you know, somehow if, you're, if your marriage isn't perfect, there's something wrong with you. Well, none of our marriages are perfect because we're not perfect. We're, you know, we're two flawed people trying to make it, make it work. And it didn't, the marriage didn't come with a manual. It doesn't have a, you know, a, a, it doesn't have a, um, a troubleshooting guide at the back of it. <laughs> You know, we have to make it up as we go along. And I think, so I think, you know, sometimes with a lot of couples, and we, we experience this, as Francine said, they come and talk to us occasionally and they tell us, you know, how they're on the verge of separation because they are absolutely lost all hope in their relationship. And they leave our house and we look at each other and say, my God, they're just like us. You know, but what we've got, I think, is a, a better sense. What we, we've been fortunate to have is a better sense that, firstly, what's going on isn't out of the norm. It's actually normal and also a sense that you can actually deal with it. And so we don't lose hope. It's when you lose hope that people give up. Okay. I think that's a really important point. Let's just come back to something we were talking about just before the news. And we were talking about disagreements and arguments. And just to clarify or perhaps even bring into the situation for our conversation today, this idea of domestic violence. Now, when you say it's good to argue, it's good to have a disagreement, it's good for our children to be able to see us resolving those things. Uh, Byron, let's come to you here because uh, domestic violence for a lot of families is a, a major problem and the government's anticipating it's going to get worse with us all in close proximity. What are your thoughts around uh, the idea of disagreements and arguments and then even this whole issue uh, moving on to what constitutes domestic violence? So there's no tolerance anywhere. There should be no tolerance anywhere for, for violence, whether it's in a domestic situation or, or externally. So that's our first our first statement. I think that just needs to be said. I think you, you need to think of these things quite as escalation stages. A disagreement is something normal. We disagree all the time about things. You know, we were disagreeing about what we thought about a movie. An argument is a poor expression of a disagreement. And an argument can continue to escalate to a point where it's not just a little, you know, backwards and forwards. It can become quite damaging psychologically, or it can actually escalate in some cases into physical expression, which is what we call domestic violence. So arguing itself is actually not good. It's normal. It's, I mean, when I say it's normal, it happens. It happens regularly, but it's actually a poor expression of a disagreement. So we should try to avoid arguments full stop. We should never let an argument escalate to a point of violence. I mean, that's just unacceptable, and there's no there's no there's no room for that. In fact, it should it should stop a long way before that because you can do a lot of psychological damage with an argument long before it becomes physically expressed. So arguments do happen, but you know, violent arguments or, or damaging arguments are, are terrible, and we're not we'd never condone those. 
we just recognise that in most ordinary day-to-day life with marriages, couples slip, when they have a disagreement, they slip into a, a communication pattern that is argumentative in nature and becomes what we would think of as an argument. It can be very mild or it can get out of control. Francine, let's tackle this here because this is so, so important, I suspect. Uh, The idea, as Byron says, never letting the argument escalate to violence. Let's talk about some of the practical measures that you might employ in your own family situation right now. And keep in mind, uh, keep that, uh, you know, up your sleeve for those times that will come over the months ahead. Uh, What's a a good way to start with a practical expression of never letting that argument escalate to a a point of violence? So one of the, the tools we use and we teach it to our couples as well is we call it the time out to ask why. So as soon as we feel the internal temperature rising, that, that sort of emotional tension building, we call a time out. We recognise the signs that we're getting physiologically aroused, that we're emotionally, um, I guess, aroused as well and we're not communicating very well. That's a really good time to say, let's call a time out and we separate um, go to the next room, go for a walk, do whatever we need to do to just cool down and, and regroup. And that's also a really good time to ask why. What's triggered me here? Why is this getting me so upset? Where is this coming from? And that can often lead me back into thinking about family origin messages and things that I've picked up from there. Is is this discussion that's escalated into something that was approaching an argument or into an argument is this tapping into some formation issues and so that time out to ask why to just step back from the process to think about what's really going on allows us to then come back together again to reconnect but from a much calmer point of view and with greater insight into what our own reactions are really telling us about ourselves. Let's talk how we might approach these things from our Christian foundations. And you mentioned in the first part of our conversation, the two of you were formed in Catholic families. And uh, so there'll be listeners coming from a Catholic perspective. There'll be lots of listeners coming from an evangelical perspective and other mainline uh, type church expressions. People have different formations they have religiously. Uh, When we're applying our Christian faith into our marriage, and uh, there'd be so much commonality right across all of the different denominations, uh, what are the sorts of things that you like to reflect on when it comes to an application of our faith into the circumstances so we don't allow things to escalate? Uh, look, it's a really important point, Neil. I think you know, one of the great things that Christian faith brings to marriage is it brings a third person into the relationship, which is God. And I think the you know, marriage is tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's great, it's fantastic, but it's also times of you know, real challenge and difficulties because life is challenging and, and difficult. And so we have a lot of heartache you know, with our, around our children, around each other, in our marriage, God's presence in that relationship is, is, a, is a third party. And we, we say marriage is a three-way covenant between two people and God. And we should never leave, you know, forget that God is there for us. God wants our marriage to be successful. We, we experience in human terms... I mean, here's a, here's a thought that can blow your mind if you think about it carefully. Our, if, if we live our marriage as well as God desires us to live our marriage, in other words, in, in deep love and other centred commitment to each other. When we go to God after our death, the closest experience we'll have of his unconditional love for us will be the love that my spouse showed me, of my, to, to me. 
That's an incredible statement when you think about it, is in human terms, the closest experience we will have if we live our marriage as well of God's unconditional love is the love that we show each other. And that's a mission. That's a mission that every married couple has, to love each other in a godlike way. Let's just just pause and reflect on that because, uh, as you say, Byron, when you think a little more deeply about that, as I've been contemplating that as you've been sharing it, uh, you say this will blow your mind because when you are a person of faith, a Christian, your faith is in Christ. He is your deliverer. He is your salvation. One day we'll stand before him and we'll have a place with him in eternity. And what you're saying is if you want to recognize the greatest experience of what is to come today than this relationship that you have with your spouse right now. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we can find biblical examples of what it is that God has used marriage in the illustration of his relationship with humanity. But if we understand that, the way that our spouse treats us may well be that expression of what it feels like to know the love of God. And, uh, Francine, if I bring you into this here, uh, when we put the shoe on the other foot, our spouse and their relationship and understanding of God and his eternal love for us is going to be coming from our ability to be able to relate mm-hmm. to the spouse. What are your thoughts around this relation one to another? Yeah, it's a it's an incredible calling of marriage to... And we like to think of it almost as God missions me um, as his messenger of love to Byron. And so my mission as a wife is to represent God's love to Byron as best as I humanly can. I'm a very faulted, imperfect person. I don't always do that well. And so that's my constant journey in the, in the challenges and things that we face in our marriage and in my life is to be constantly asking God for the assistance and the grace to do that better. And similarly for Byron, it's also the reverse, obviously. So I think it's, a, it's the, it really is, um, in, in the Catholic tradition, we refer to God as, a, as marriage as a sacrament, which means that it's really there to illustrate and, and to make visible in the world the kind of love that exists between the Trinity, between the love between the Father and the Son. It helps us understand the intimate and um, total self-gift within that relationship. And so when we love each other well, we're a really good sign of that. When we love each other poorly, we're not such a good sign. And so it's a, I guess a responsibility as Christian couples to really work hard to make our marriages those sort of the best living witness we possibly can so that we're accurately representing the nature of God's love to the world. And I might add that uh, I don't see any difference uh, in the Catholic tradition of appreciating that love between the persons of the Trinity and what that person who will be on the Protestant side of the argument, that evangelical Christian, they will have no problem with that at all. It's a very mm. biblical way of talking about how we relate together because God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit are perfect in their relationship together. So there's example in God himself of mm. how these relationships outwork. This is the interesting practical aspect of it, though, because, as you say, you bring God into your argument, and bringing God into the argument is probably as simple as saying, why don't we pray? 
And uh, I wonder whether, Byron, you've got some thoughts here. You mentioned that something that Catholics do and they have uh, what they call a Trinity prayer. How does that work in the, in the, sort of, the sorts of things you teach? Look, it, it's, it's um, I'm not sure Catholics just do it, and we're weird, as you know. But um, <laughs> but um, the idea of the Trinity Prayer is really simple. It's just um, it's taking uh, the notion of the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, and and we we say a simple prayer together, uh, which is basically we first a prayer of thanks, thanks to God, um, thanks to God the Father, um, and and thanks for each other. And then we have, we have a, I guess, a sorry part of that, you know, forgive us for the things that we've done. Um, and that's a, that's a prayer we make to Jesus, and he died for us. And so uh, we sort of have a, a prayer to him as a sort of asking for forgiveness for our sinfulness, but also to each other for our hurts we cause each other, which is another expression of sinfulness. And then finally we have the, other, the third element of that, which is a prayer asking for help. Um, and that's in, in, you know, we make that prayer to the Spirit. And the Spirit was, you know, came to the earth to sort of to manifest God in, in you know, in, beyond Jesus. And and so we, we think of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we sort of pray to them together as a couple. But then we pray, uh, you know, for each other in those three sort of movements, prayers of thanks, prayers of sorrow, and petitions for help. The, we've often used this prayer, Neil, with our children, particularly when they were younger for family prayers. We'd sort of all gather together just before bedtime. And it was a wonderful way to, I guess, teach the children about the different formats of prayer and different elements of prayer. And we would just start with, okay, thank you prayers. Let's, let's offer up our thank you prayers. And everybody would chime in. And the kids always had lots of things they could be thank you to the father for. And then when it came to sorry prayers, they'd be deathly quiet. <laughs> Yeah. But they would be listening very much to hear what Byron and my sorry prayer was. And we always made a point of offering our sorry prayers and letting them witness, I guess, the fact that we were acknowledging our imperfection and our sinfulness and relying on Jesus' forgiveness and mercy. And then when we got to the helping prayers, they would all pipe up again. They always had plenty of things they wanted help with um, from the Holy Spirit. So it was a really good um, formation experience for our children, I think, to witness us acknowledging our limitations and faults and bringing that all to the, to the Lord and asking for help and grace in that situation. A wonderful wisdom and insight in the idea of including in that time of prayer uh, a thank you prayer, the sorry prayer and the help prayer because those are the sorts of things that our children need to be able to uh, get that idea of uh, there is a process here, uh, that there is mm-hmm. something that we need to be thankful for, that there is a mm-hmm. time of repentance uh, that says I'm sorry before God and before one another, and then there's the help me because uh, I don't know if I can do this on my own. The interesting thing is when we're all going to be in some levels of self-isolation and churches are not meeting, uh, one of the big mechanisms that happens in church, which is a little bit like the big reset button, is this time when we would all come around a Holy Communion. And uh, different denominations do that in different ways. And uh, appreciating your Catholic background, because uh, you know have the Eucharist, and uh, but in uh, Protestant churches, they'll often have uh, you know the Lord's Supper or times of communion. And uh, and what those are, obviously, it creates the opportunity where it is a reset button 
where we are coming before God. We are, in fact, confessing our sins. We are appreciating that he is the one who has borne our sins and we have this provision of forgiveness. So if we're not going to local churches, we're not participating in those expressions of hitting the reset button, that creates an extra an extra issue for us at home, doesn't it? And I'm, yeah. I'm the, I don't know how, how you'll deal with that in, the, in a Catholic sense at home. Uh, obviously, in the home of a Protestant family, they'll probably have a communion time together. Uh, what are your thoughts about those deeper religious aspects of what you might do at home when there is an argument and when it's time to repair those things? Uh, your thoughts, uh, Francine? Oh, Byron was about to... to oh, Byron, to, uh, okay, okay. Through. All right, Byron, you're on the spot here. I'm really getting into some deeper waters here, uh, given that, uh, no, no. that different people have different ideas here. Yes, of course, not, not especially us. Um, so there's two points I'd make about that. Firstly, is that yeah, at this time when our churches are closed, we need to remember that churches are just buildings where we can congregate. Our churches are actually people. And the domestic church is actually the most powerful and the most important part of church life. What we do in our homes, the way we, we, we spend time together in faith uh, with our children and with each other, uh, is, is the, should be the primary practice of our faith. And if you want to, if you want to go to a great witness of that, you go to the Jewish people who, whose entire faith life is built around the family. And there's great lessons for us Christians in that. Um, what we need to do, though, is our relationship, you know, it, our relationship with each other mirrors into all the other relationships around us. When we're out of sorts with each other, our children are more likely to be in the firing line. If anyone is married and listening to this, just think of what happens when we're angry with each other. Everything gets coloured a certain way and we get a lot shorter with other people, work colleagues and our kids. Well, likewise with God. And so we need to be... Uh, our relationships need to be repaired and healthy at all times. And that's why that prayer we were just talking about with that, that aspect of sorrowfulness in it is really important. God knows our sinfulness. We can never live to the desires he has for us to be whole and holy. We can never reach those aspirations, but he doesn't hold us in condemnation. And nor should we hold each other in condemnation for our own sinfulness. We need to recognise the hurt we cause. We need to seek forgiveness from each other for that. But we also need to grant forgiveness of each other. And if we're doing that, then you know, we are actually living a God-like life. Not perfectly, but we are living witnesses of what God is, is, which is unconditional love. And in our imperfect expression of that, our children, our neighbours, our work colleagues get some taste of that, whether they understand we are people of faith or not. They still experience the love relationship. And if we really boil it down, ultimately God is love. He has unconditional love for each of us. You know, he died for us. Um, you know, there's no greater gift that you can give. And that's a, that's a beacon for us is what we should do in our marriage. In a, in a, in a positive Christian sense of the word, we, die, we should die for each other every day. That's unconditional love. It's not about what I get from you. It's about what I can be for you, which is, should be the powerhouse of our marriage. So that unconditional love we get from God needs to translate into our own expressions within our family, uh, in our marriage and towards our children too. There's a certain sense where the onus is on us as individuals to be people who are the ones who can convey that unconditional love. And the mm -hmm. test comes... Francine, when you're in the heat of that argument and you've got that prideful arrogance that refuses to say sorry, 
the word sorry is a pretty important one here. I mean, we can glean biblical uh, wisdom, you know, where mm-hmm. we can hear things like don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get those things resolved. Have really short lists, uh, uh, not letting these things get out of control. This prideful arrogance that we often have, Francine, I wonder whether you've got some thoughts on just how hard it is to say sorry mm. and please forgive me. What are your thoughts there? Yes, oh, definitely. I think actually saying please forgive me is much harder than saying I'm sorry. And the reason is, they're both really important, um, but the reason is is that when I say I'm sorry, I'm expressing, I guess, a, a, um, a sense of sorrow that this situation is that I've hurt you and so on. But it doesn't really require ask anything of the other person. But when I ask Byron, please forgive me, I'm taking, I'm surrendering all of my power to him and relying on his willingness to forgive in order for our relationship to be restored. So it takes much greater humility. But um, so they're both incredibly important and both incredibly healing. So I think being able to conquer our arrogance and step into humility to be able to say those two things when we've hurt each other is incredibly important and incredibly life-giving to the marriage. Well, have loved every moment of our conversation today. Such an important conversation about the things that have formed us and how those things that have formed us, uh, they represent this present-day expression of who we are and how we conduct ourselves, and that's going to be important for the next generation, our children, who are learning from us how we resolve these things. And while we're all having lock-in times over the months ahead, and this could be six months, it could be longer, of really close proximity and the stresses and strains that that will bring. Uh, If there's a note or two that listeners might have been able to glean today, it will hold in good stead when those tensions come. Uh, Byron and Francine, I know things have changed for you and you're doing these teleconferencing uh, opportunities and uh, no doubt people can access your Smart Loving series. Uh, Just before we end here, uh, Francine, the Smart Loving series, uh, this is something that you and Byron have created uh, when when listeners get a hold of that or participate in it, what are the, what are the sorts of things they'll be exposed to? So there's obviously lots of free stuff. If they go to smartloving.org, they can get articles and sign up to our newsletter. They'll get sort of tips and insights into their inbox each week. Then there's our online courses. So if they want to, while you're stuck at home, if you're particularly if you're out of work and you've got time, you might want to take one of the online courses and. It, do that together as a couple and experience some of the benefits of putting some of these practical tools into action. And um, most of those courses, you get a year or two years access. You've got plenty of time to complete them. Um, our live courses at the moment are, are sort of suspended, but we do offer coaching as well, which we can do through FaceTime or um, video chat and conferencing. So if people want individual coaching, they can also sign up for one of those. Um, through our courses and things like that we can connect with them personally. Well, it's uh, one of the good resources that you'll be able to access. And let me give two websites here. Uh, the first one is the Marriage Resource Centre. It's marriagerc.org. 
And as Francine says, the Smart Loving courses are on the Smart Loving website, smartloving.org. And those online courses, the idea of live seminars, blogs, other resources to support couples who are living in marriage. And the marriage, as Francine says, to which God has called them. And that's a whole big issue on its on its own. There's plenty to talk about. And let's not leave it too long before we have another great conversation about marriage. Marriage as we do. Byron and Francine Parola, uh, 30 years marriage, five children, 1.4 grandchildren, uh, excited about the expecting uh, mother in your family who's going to be having that baby coming up in October. Byron and Francine, thanks so much for your insights today. Just uh, love your thoughts, love your attitude, love your marriage guidance. And uh, thanks for being with us on 2020. Absolute pleasure. It's a delight. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.